Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Hello, and welcome to the New Books Network's African American Studies channel. I'm your host, James Stansel, and today I have a great interview with Elizabeth Reich. Elizabeth Reich, she's the author of a book, Militant Visions, Black Soldiers, Internationalism, and the Transformation of American Cinema. Dr. Reich is a professor at Connecticut College. I really enjoyed my interview with her. Her book is about World War II, up through the Vietnam War and the portrayal of African-American soldiers in cinema. I think you're really going to enjoy this. We had a good time in our interview. So if you're interested in African-American history, film studies, or um, military history, definitely check out this podcast. And here we go. Enjoy yourself. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the New Books Network. I'm Jane Stansel, the host of the African-American Studies channel. Today, we'll be talking to Dr. Reich. Dr. Reich is an outstanding, well-known film studies scholar, and she is going to be talking today about her book, Militant Visions, Black Soldiers, Internationalism, and the Transformation of American Cinema. So you have a great treat today in front of you. All right. Would you be um, willing to introduce yourself to the audience? Sure. Elizabeth Reich, and I'm the author of Militant Visions, and I'm really happy to be here today. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for taking the time to speak with me today. I know we've had some challenges connecting with each other, but now we're going to make it happen and make it work. Um, Would you mind just maybe telling us a little bit about yourself and your background? Yeah, absolutely. I grew up in Boston and uh, spent my whole childhood there. Um, I moved to New York City for college and um, took a little time off in the middle to make a film, made a documentary about queer youth group, uh, the first queer youth group in the country. Yeah, and I I worked at a couple of nonprofits, um, primarily with young people in the city. And um, I did that for, for a couple years and then I decided I wanted to go back to school finish up my degree so I could teach so I got Mm -hmm. a a BA in film and English and I went on to teach uh, English language at a high school um, English language and literature at a high school and a middle school in New York City and did that for three years and then I went to grad school to get my PhD I went to Rutgers in New Jersey. Ah, and, uh, Big Ten. Yeah, and I had a wonderful time there. Um, if 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 anybody could have a wonderful time in grad school, that is okay. <laughs> uh, yes, that's a conversation for all there. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> and um, and then I I got my first tenure track job at Wayne State University in Detroit. I was there for Detroit, years, right. and um, now I've been at Connecticut College for the last three years. Okay. Wow. Detroit, Connecticut, right there, back near the, in the New York City area, right? Yeah, Connecticut's in New London, so it's kind of actually little... closer to Boston, really, than New York. Oh, okay. Um, but Boston, you also spent some time in as, as well. Yep, so. grew up there. 
spent a lot of time in New York, so I'm equidistant between two of my cities. Would you like to give a shout out to uh, your former students, maybe uh, at the schools where you work? Oh, definitely. <laughs> and, my, and my current students at, okay. at Con and at Wayne State, um, they've really have been instrumental in helping me get this book done because it's, oh. it's in teaching that at least I have my best thoughts. So. Right, right. I understand. Yeah. And we do it. We do it for them. We definitely do it for them. Yeah, that's true. We do it for them and we do it to keep our jobs. <laughs> yes, definitely. <you> do. <laughs> we do it to keep our, our, our jobs, right? Those tenure track positions. Yeah, right? it's hard to um, come by. And you, um, you mentioned, you know, your students were, you know, inspirational for you and such. Did you have a mentor that you um, would like to maybe mention? I have had so many. I am blessed because I've had so many wonderful mentors. I think the reason that at every stage I've wanted to teach or work with young people is because of the really amazing mentoring I've had. Right. Um, I think that the person I'd want to name is my eighth grade English teacher, Carol Strasberger. Um, okay. She's somebody. Ms. Strasberger. Yeah, Carol. If you, you sit in her class and you really think that you might be able to do anything. We'll have to send her a copy of this podcast. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. She'll be pleased to hear it. She's, she's still in the Boston area and awesome. And one of her former students has made good. Yes, that made good. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, I don't know if she would have thought that you would be writing about African-American soldiers. Mm -hmm. Maybe she maybe she would have. But that's the subject of the book we're going to talk about today. Yeah. Yeah. My guess is she wouldn't have guessed that. <laughs> so the subtitle is Black Soldiers, Internationalism and the Transformation of American Cinema. Can you just kind of give our listeners maybe a brief overview of what your book is all about? Sure. So Militant Visions offers a new history of the cinema from okay. World War II through the end of the Vietnam War. Right. And it does that by identifying an understudied cinematic figure, the black soldier. Okay. Right. And, and in the book, I argue that this figure's transformation across what is essentially a long civil rights period okay. um, was fundamental to changes not only in U.S. race culture, American culture more broadly, but also U.S. global policies and the cinema okay. itself. And so that's kind of the main big argument of the book. Okay. But there's a second argument uh, that I think is almost more significant now while the book's mm -hmm. coming out than it was when I was started to write it, which is that the figure of the black soldier is a really important one in okay. in U.S. history and African-American history. And, and this has been said before, um, mm -hmm. but it hasn't been talked about. Its role in cinema hasn't been talked about. Mm -hmm. um, and so that this is a figure that emerges out of a hundred year film history and a much longer um, history of struggle in the U.S. Okay. And it's one that really reflects the struggles of African-America um, across wars, but also peacetime, um, and, um, and, that, and that it shows the ways in which black Americans' political identity at home has also been really powerfully shaped by contacts um, in Europe, in the developing right. world, in East Asia, right. Um, right. And, and, and that the soldier has been such an important um, vehicle for those kinds of transformations um, back at home. Um, mm -hmm. So 
for me, the way in which the book traces out the transformations from um, kind of a, a conservative figure who's really invested right. in assimilation mm-hmm. in gaining right. all of the rights and privileges of full citizenship and willing to put his life on the line to do so. Absolutely. Um, that, that he's, you know, over time, over the frustrations of kind of a failed civil rights period, transforming mm-hmm. into somebody who is more militant, more separatist, mm-hmm. more invested mm-hmm. in revolution. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, today we have folks like, and I'm, I'm not suggesting they're mainstream, they're outliers, sure. but folks sure. like Micah, Xavier Johnson, and Gavin Long, who are, um, who are veterans who are mm-hmm. angry and, and mm-hmm. see themselves as representing the black cause um, and have turned against the state. Um, right. So that's a movement that in some ways we can really trace even in the cinema where, you know, the 1943 films that are coming out about mm-hmm. uh, black soldiers are also these very conservative films. And then by the 70s, we have characters like uh, Freeman in The Spook Who Sat by the Door or right. or popular characters like Sweetback and Shaft, who are the right. black renegades who are mm-hmm. really totally different than than the soldier who I argue was, you know, their ancestor. Wow. Um, sounds, sounds like definitely some interesting reading for people who are interested in African-American history, African-American studies, in particular older soldiers. Um, my father being one of them, he's uh, he was drafted into the Vietnam War, and he's already trying to get my copy of your book there. <laughs> That's really so, sweet. <laughs> so um, I'll, I'll send that to him. Maybe I can get you to autograph a copy for him. Done. Absolutely. All right. And you mentioned, uh, uh, in terms of like a connection to today's world, you mentioned Gavin Long and the other gentlemen. Just for clarification purposes, can you just kind of explain why you mentioned them? Sure. Um, and I, I said, and I'll, I'll say it again, they are obviously outliers. They are, you know, really, or were, really disturbed, unhappy, angry mm-hmm. people. But um, I think that it's important that we consider them in the, this history of um, what has happened to black soldiers in this country. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, that is not purely a cinematic history, mm-hmm. but, um, but the way that we can look at it through the cinema, I think is, mm-hmm. um, gives us some new insights. Um, and mm-hmm. so the, the history that they're part of, what, what made me bring them up is one in which um, African-American men, primarily mm-hmm. men, um, are asked to, wear the uniform of the state, represent a country in which they don't have any kind of full participation, right? They're Mm -hmm. not guaranteed the same safeties. They're not guaranteed the same privileges. So, Mm -hmm. for instance, in 43, black men are over in Europe fighting against fascism, basically Mm -hmm. fighting against racism in Europe, Mm -hmm. but yet at home, they're still Jim Crowed. And even in in the armed forces, they are, um, many of them were, uh, were, black northerners who were under who are having to serve under white southern officers so i mean the racial dynamics in the military were just horrible for these men um Mm -hmm. so there so there's just like a structuring irony um for them in terms of the ways in which they're they're willing to sacrifice their lives and yet they're they're not really living full lives at home they're you know maybe living full lives emotionally but not free Mm -hmm. lives absolutely so and, I think I think that I, I guess the point that I would make in connecting it up to the present time is this really hasn't ended. Um, 
you know, things may be better in the military per Mm -hmm. se, although if Gavin Long and and Micah Johnston are any evidence, perhaps Mm -hmm. not. Um, But they're certainly not better in our civil society. Um, And the relationship between police and and citizen is is no better. So we still have soldiers who are, are, you know, going abroad or doing their doing their service and becoming radicalized. Mm-hmm. Over time, and just for, yeah, for, for just for clarification, those two gentlemen that she mentioned were involved with shootings. Right. Yep. Um, one in Dallas, mm-hmm. and I believe the other in um, Bat- Baton, Baton Rouge, Rouge. I think. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, they, both, they both shot. I think it's really important that they both shot representatives of the U.S. government. Of the government, right? And you know, so um, our listeners. So maybe a few weeks ago, I think a few weeks to a month ago, that several months ago, that these things happened. So I want just to make sure, right? What? Well, yeah, that's your research. I know you know <laughs> you know all of, all about it. Yeah, I just wanted to make sure that they, that folk may know that those were the names that you mentioned right. are connected to the to those incidents. Wow. And so again, this is a militant visions: black soldiers, internationalism, and the transformation of American cinema. A great book here by an outstanding professor. And, you know, just in our, our time that we have left here, um, just we'll just kind of go through some of the topics that you have in the book. And if you want to just uh, take a few sure. uh, minutes to talk about each one, your, your first, well, your introduction is about, you've gotten into this a little bit about historicizing and internationalizing the badass. Right. Or Yeah, that's sort of what I was cinematic. just saying, actually. Absolutely. That, right. Know, sweet, sweet kind bag. of 70s radical figure has its origins in this more conservative history. But um, I guess I would say to kind of give an overview of the, t- the, the chapters of the book, I would say that the, the book's divided into two sections. The first right. half is um, all about films that were made during World War II, and it's, it's films made by the U.S. government propaganda films, um, films made by Hollywood, and then films made by black independent filmmakers. Mm -hmm. And I kind of take the slow path through that moment because I'm interested in kind of the moment that this figure appears on the scene in Mm -hmm. Hollywood and U.S. government films. Like, why is this mainstream government that is 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 very repressive of of black Mm -hmm. folks make suddenly making films about black soldiers and of course Mm -hmm. it had to do with an enlistment problem um Mm -hmm. and really needing african-americans to get on board so i look at that really carefully in the way that the figure shifts in these different cinemas um the government cinema hollywood and black independent cinema and and across a couple of genres of filmmaking, and I can say more about that if you want. Um, the second, please do. I'll just say first though that the second section moves a little more quickly through the decades of the civil rights movement, the mm-hmm. 50s, 60s, and 70s, and kind of traces out more of that transnational or internationalist quality of the black soldier that um, I was speaking about before, and mm-hmm. looks at the ways in which. Um, both black cinema itself and the black soldier and the representations of the black soldier were mm. really forged in the midst of a uh, a really um, international moment and sphere. So kind of the argument that I make across that last section is that um, just as the black soldier and the um, increasing militancy for which with which he began to become associated in the 60s and 70s, just as as he was um, really shaped by his experiences abroad. So black American cinema, um, which we think of as 
again, an American cinema, was also mm-hmm. really shaped by its its transnational and international origins. So like, you know, in chapter five, I look at um, films by Melvin Van Peebles, who right. some of you may know made Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song. That's right. kind of his famous film. But I look at his earlier film, which um, whose success mm-hmm. really led to the opportunity to make Sweetback. And that was a film that was made in France in French, in part, yes. and, um, and which is really inflected by a very um, French and European new wave sensibility. The story of a three-day yeah, pass. Yeah, story of a three-day pass, exactly, released as Le Permission in, in France in 68. And so that's kind of like a little um, example of what I, I think of as a somewhat larger phenomena of, of black cinema, black art cinema, Black independent cinema is really being something that that did not just originate in the U.S., but but um, came up in the United States by way of black experiences abroad. And I can tell you, um, and I, I saw that film when I was in uh, film school oh, yeah. um, as an undergraduate at UNC Chapel Hill. No kidding. Yeah. That's so I, I remember. I didn't, know, so I, remember I didn't know that people show it much. Yeah. Well, I. It was. I looked into it myself. I checked it out of the library. Got it. Yeah. Because I was uh, at one point, I wanted to be a, a Melvin Van Peoples type, you know, myself. <laughs> yeah. So I was looking at, um, and I'm a you know '70s uh, person, so uh, I'm very familiar with that that film. So when I, you know, when I saw that you were talking about that, I was like, yes. Yeah. You know, it it seems on the I face of that. it like this very sweet story about a black soldier who's stationed, black American soldier stationed in France, falls in love with the white woman. They have sex, he gets caught, he gets demoted. But mm-hmm. really, if, if you read it more carefully, I think it, it, it tells us a lot about, you know, not just the, the anger and frustration that black Americans were feeling, but also about the way in which U.S. hegemony, like in, in the form of the military, follows right. this guy wherever he goes. Like there is no space outside of America. There is no space outside of American racial mores. There is no space outside of that uniform that he should be proud to wear, but is instead really repressed and suppressed by wearing. So, you know, this effort on his part to be part of the United States and and participate in in, you know, theoretically helping others through his service is, Mm -hmm. in fact, an experience that wounds him in, in many ways from preventing, you know, a love relationship he wants to have to really just hurting his soul and leaving him in a, in a very angry place. Mm. And, you know, um, listening to what you're saying about the soldiers who come back and, you know, they are fighting for freedom that they don't have at home, you know, it reminds me of um, some of the things I used to teach as a history teacher about the, the black soldiers in World War One. Yeah, you know, this, coming back. Same thing every war. So this history of black soldiers, you know, I look at 43 to, to 73. Yeah, that's your time yeah, period. Yeah, because 43 is when the black soldier films mandated by the government start. Right. And and I have some complex reasons for ending in 73. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But mostly it has to do with the end of the Vietnam War. But okay. but um, the World War One history and an older history, in fact, is really important. I mean, there have been black soldiers both serving the United States and turning against the state since the Revolutionary War. Well documented. But the but the history of black soldiers in film is also really an old one. And it goes back to Birth of a Nation, that famous. I was just thinking that yeah. the NAACP kind of cut its teeth by protesting um, 
that was a film that that starred this man in blackface, this white man playing Gus, who is this, you know, kind of rapist, northern black soldier. Um, And he is like the thing that puts in motion the forming of the KKK and this epic history. Right. It's it's his fault in in the film. Um, And then black independent cinema, which exists long before World War Two, it just kind of crashes in the middle of the century for a while. Right. Um, black independent cinema really starts trying to respond to this film. And so there were mm-hmm. a num- number of filmic responses by Oscar Show, for instance, um, a short film called Trooper of Company K. And these are right. films that try to resurrect the figure of the black soldier. So it was watching those that really was very inspiring to me. And, and made, for you. Right. Yeah. It made me think like this is this is a very important figure historically, but it's mm. also a figure that shapes the evolution of U.S. cinema and not just black cinema, but it's a great extreme point. American cinema. Right. Absolutely. It's important in World War Two, but it's important in Birth of a Nation and Birth of a Nation is the film that everybody teaches as establishing the modern film grammar so the black soldier and black representation itself is ironically fundamental to the way that whites see themselves well there's a new birth of a nation that uh, oh, I can't <laughs> we don't want to confuse the, the two so maybe that'll be a controversy a, but i i can't wait to see it same same here maybe that'll be for the next for this century that'll be the birth of a nation that um yes. people talk about god long awaited yeah, absolutely. And he's a great film filmmaker, Nate Parker. But yes, you're right. There are some controversies. We won't get into that yeah, in this podcast. podcast part two. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of, of part two, it seems like uh, you maybe have some ideals about a part two for Militant Visions going back prior to World War Two or from uh, Vietnam into today's world. No, you know, I don't think that is where I'm going to go next. Involved in two projects right now. The, the first... Sure. Thanks. The the first is a, um, a collaborative one. I'm working with uh, Anna Everett and Ryan Kernan, who are both um, African-Americanists as well. And uh, we're putting together a, a collection of essays on Afrofuturism and social justice. Oh, so wow. it's, okay. it's titled Justice in Time, Critical wow. Afrofuturism and the Struggle for Black Freedom. And um, it's going to take a little bit before it appears, but uh, I'm really enjoying working on it right now. And, um, and then I have a, a, another um, solo project I'm working on, which is about reparations. Okay. Um, wow. And uh, I'm interested in particular in studying reparations through the cinema because reparations mm. are all about time. Right. Yes. It's, Great it's, point. Like, it's a belated phenomena. <laughs> and and the and film is a time bound medium that I think is uniquely suited for having this conversation about reparations. Okay. So, yeah, look for that in, you know, anywhere from two to 30 years. <laughs> <laughs> right. For people who don't understand academia, they may not understand what you mean by that two to 30 years. But I, I certainly do. And whenever you get those projects going, we would love to, absolutely to have you back to discuss them. Um, up here. Thank you so much, uh, James. Yes, I'm enjoying talking with you today. And you know, I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but I, I want to, to ask you a question about two of my favorite films. Okay. Uh, African American Soldiers and get your thought on that. If you could indulge me personally. Yeah, here. let's hope I've seen them. 
Oh, I'm pretty certain you've, you've seen them. You're an outstanding scholar. I know that you have seen them. Um, one is more recent. It's called a Spike Lee film, Miracle at St. Anna. And that's World War II. You know, it's a fictionalized version of a true event. Any thoughts from you? Yeah, uh, on- I write about it in my conclusion, actually, because the, the last bit of the book, I make this whole argument about why I'm ending in 73 and why the figure of the black soldier that I'd looked at is, is really no longer in existence. And um, I would say that The Miracle at St. Anna is one of the films that kind of is the exception to, to what I'm claiming is that rule, because okay. the black soldier there is one who is also really invested uh, mm-hmm. by Spike Lee in, right. in this long history. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, and the, the way in which he's portrayed, the way in which he he um, interacts with with stories about uh, not just American nationhood, but America's imperial role in the globe, um, I think is, uh, means that he does a similar kind of work to, to Mm. that of the soldiers that I'm looking at in the meat of the book. Um, Mm -hmm. At the Mm -hmm. same time, I I kind of, you know, I, I think it's important to say that this film appears after the the civil rights movement has ended, right, right? and and failed in, in many ways. I mean, in a sense, sure. the votes happened, but but not a lot else. And so, in a way, the impact of such a film is is lessened or at least extremely different in the context mm-hmm. of today, right? Like, okay. just imagine what a film like that coming out in say '55 would have been like, <laughs> right? It wouldn't have been able to come out in '55. <laughs> well, there were some pretty radical films that came out, but. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. Spike Lee, Spike Lee would not have been able to be Spike Lee in '55. No question. It would have been a, a bit, a bit more difficult. Yeah. Uh, one more. Uh, this is a film. Well, maybe two more. I can sneak another. <laughs> I mean, I'm really enjoying our conversation because, as a history person and as a former film person, it's like you know you're speaking my language. <laughs> but uh, a soldier story. Oh uh, yeah. From the yeah from the uh, early '80s there, based on the uh, well-known play. Yeah. Um, that movie was very influ- influential for me as a young person. You know, what are your thoughts on that? Well, then I'm inclined to say that I loved it, <laughs> but um, but oh no, you, I mean, you can be critical of it. No, I, you know, I didn't find it as compelling a film as, like, for instance, Miracle at Saint Anna. Okay. I felt like the story it told was, you know, historically fairly accurate seeming one. The characters were great. You know, it was fully mm-hmm. rendered, but for me, it played into, you know, played into a strong, a strong way to put it. Okay. I think that there is a problem that happens with a lot of the films that sort of tell us about the like harsh realities of black life, right. um, but end with some kind of catharsis where mm-hmm. in particular, white people can go to the cinema, see that movie, think, geez, things used to be tough. Or even things are still tough today, but in the case of the soldier story, it's set in the past, right? Things, things are tough, but the personal connections or, or the, the happy ending or the um, catharsis that the film allows me to feel uh, mm-hmm. kind of wins out. And so at the end of the day, I can leave this problem where I found it in the movie theater. Um, That's a great point. And yeah. the films I'm looking at in Militant Visions, one of the arguments I make is that they really are have within them some kind of didactic 
mm-hmm. efforts on part of the directors or the actors. I mean, that, that there are really people involved in the projects who are trying to influence the audiences okay. um, and influence them in ways that might produce action. Okay. That's a great, great point. I'm glad I asked you about it. Now I have a different way to, to look at that film. And I was a young, I was a, I won't say how young, but I was a younger person then. So well, I think it was a, nice. It's a good film. Yeah. It just, it just yeah. does a different kind of work. And, yeah, it, it was, it was a different kind. Now there's another movie that I saw on Turner movie classics years ago. And I think it was a fifties film. I can't think of the name. I think it was a home of the brave. Oh, well that, that's a special. Is that film. what it's called? That's a special film. It's 1949. You're right, right to think of it in terms of the 50s because it bears more in common with the 50s and the right. 40s. Yeah. And um, my fourth chapter of my books on that film. Absolutely. That is a it's a weird film, and I, I will say a word about it, even though we're short on time because it's so interesting. Mm-hmm. It takes place during World War II, even though it's made in 49, and right. it has um, an integrated army troop which did not exist in in for in not yet it, no it did not exist during world war ii so it anachronistically integrates the military and i think that the reason it does so and um it, it tells the story of of a, a really ill hysterically paralyzed soldier who believes that racism is what has made him sick um and mm-hmm. an army psychiatrist eventually convinces him that that's that's not the problem. The problem is just generalized war trauma. And he walks again and everything's fine. The reason that I think the film has this particular story and has this integrated cast is because um, it's it's coming out at this moment at which black GIs, the black vets are um, suddenly moving into the suburbs, going to mm-hmm. college, right? The GI Bill is carrying them into white America and assimilation, integration, not going so well. So this is a film that I read is really about America's struggles with integration on the one hand and its desperate need as it's fighting the Cold War or beginning to fight the Cold War to project an image of the United States as an integrated place because the U.S. is looking for allies in the third world. It's looking for brown people to say, yeah, we want to side with you instead of the Soviet Union. The Soviet Mm -hmm. Union, by the way, has a real history of, of doing good work in terms of racial integration. Sure, the U.S. Sure. does not. So Home of the Brave is this film that kind of, like so many of the black soldier films, does this mm-hmm. double duty. And like the black soldier himself, right? This duty that's, of that's kind of movie. representing America as equitable and integrated while at the same time really suffering the consequences of the fact that America has not dealt with its racial demons. Mm. Wow. Well, thank, thank you for doing that extra bonus interpretation <laughs> you know interpretive analysis there there for me and you know I know you're a busy person you mentioned your multiple projects you're a professor you're teaching you're doing all those things so I don't want to take up too much more of your time today but I appreciate you taking a few minutes with us to talk about your book again the book is called Militant Visions Militant Visions the subtitle Black Soldiers Internationalism and the Transformation of American Cinema I highly recommend this book her name is Dr. Elizabeth Reich Dr. Elizabeth Reich Militant Visions and she is a professor at Connecticut College and any last shout outs that you want to give to anyone before we go, Dr. Rice? Just to you, James. It's been a wonderful pleasure and a oh, great absolutely. interview. Thank Same. you so much. 
same here. So that'll be all for us this time on the African-American Studies channel on the New Books Network. Again, this is James Stansel, and I will be signing off. And again, thank you, Dr. Reich, for your time. Take care. All right. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Dr. Reich as much as I did. I've really had a good time talking with her. She's a fun person and a great professor. She has some uh, work coming out on Afrofuturism, and she also has some work coming out on reparations. So look out for her work there, and we'll try to get her back in on the African American Studies channel podcast in future episodes and editions. Again, her book is Militant Visions, Black Soldiers, Internationalism, and the Transformation of American Cinema. Elizabeth Reich, Connecticut College. We'll see you next time on the African American Studies channel, New Books Network. Again, this is James Stansel. Take care. Have a nice day. Thank you.